I got some very bad news a couple of days ago. Um, AYSO soccer is back, um, and so I will be taking my children two, three times a week uh, to, to soccer. And it's not that I don't love my kids, I just hate soccer. Um, and, and the thing was, I, it, it caused me to reflect on what, um, you know, as awful as COVID has been, there have been some, some positive things. Uh, disruptions to our, our daily routine, right? Like a lot of us had like a sort of way that we did life and then that was massively disrupted uh, by the pandemic. And in, in for me, one of the things that was really great was, oh, no, I don't have to take you anywhere. Just go upstairs, look at your iPad, I'll call you down for dinner. Like we don't have to interact at all. It's going to be awesome. That's a joke. I love my kids. Um, but it's interesting, grace actually works in a very similar way, right? Like, uh, the way that God's grace works, it, grace, for those of us who don't know, is, is unmerited favor. It's, it's when God uh, blesses us in a way that we just don't deserve, right? And, and what happens in, in the scripture, and we're going to see this today, is like, life is going on in a, in a certain way, okay? And then grace invades. It blows in, and like, it blows everything up. And just, just radically, without, without any effort almost, um, and so we're going we're gonna to see that, and then we're going to see how big God's grace is today as we continue our series in Jonah. Uh, let's read the text together. This is Jonah uh, 3, uh, verses 1 to 10. Yahweh's word came to Jonah a second time. Get up! Go to Nineveh! You'll remember that Jonah has just been spat up, vomited by uh, his, his whale Uber onto the beach. He's now very close to Nineveh. Uh, he, he's probably a little north of Israel depending on where, the, where he was beached out. But he's, he's there, and, and then God tells him this. Go to Nineveh, the great city. Declare against it the proclamation I'm commanding you. And Jonah got up and went to Nineveh. Now, this is a change. The last time God told Jonah to do something, he got up and went the opposite way. So Jonah's, Jonah's he's, on, he's on board, sort of, now. Uh, Jonah went up and uh, went to Nineveh according to Yahweh's word. Now, Nineveh was indeed an enormous city, a three days' walk across Jonah started into the city, walking one day, and he cried out, 40 days more, just 40 days more, and Nineveh will be overthrown. That's the same word uh, that gets used, and if you're familiar with the Old Testament, Sodom and Gomorrah were overthrown, meaning nuked, destroyed, literally means turned upside down. So 40 days, and the nuclear bombs are dropping. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast and put on mourning clothes, from the greatest of them to the least significant. When word of it reached the king of Nineveh, he got up from his throne, stripped himself of his robe, covered himself with mourning clothes, uh, sometimes called sackcloth, just ripped up garments, and, and sat in ashes. Uh, that's the ancient way of saying, everything is awful. Then he announced in Nineveh, by decree of the king and his officials, neither human nor animal, cattle nor flock will taste anything. No eating for anybody. It's a fast. No grazing. No drinking water. Let humans and animals alike, even the cows, are going to be mourning. We're gonna, we're gonna dress them up in mourning clothes and let them call upon God forcefully. Like cry out and say, God, pay attention to us. That's sort of the logic of, of, of a fast. It's the logic of mourning. It's like, it's like, hey, God, you need to pay attention to me. Look at what, look at my situation. And let all persons stop their evil behavior and the violence that's under their control. You'll remember that Nineveh was famous for being a very violent place. Lots of murders and lots of sponsorship of wars and murder. And so the king thinks, who knows? 
God may see this and turn from his wrath so that we might not perish. And God, presumably peering down from heaven, saw what they were doing, that they had ceased their evil behavior. So God stopped planning to destroy them, and he didn't do it. Now, the first thing we need to look at is that Jonah hasn't changed that much. Okay? Uh, You'll recall last week, Jonah was crying out to God from the belly of the whale. He didn't say, I'm sorry. He he doesn't regret anything he's done. Jonah, he still thinks it's a terrible idea to save Nineveh. He doesn't want to do it. And look at at what he does. So uh, if you pay attention back to our our next, uh, the text again, the beginning of the text. Jonah got up and went. Okay, so he obeys. But just barely. (laughs) The, the narrator tells us Nineveh's three days walk, Jonah does one. Uh, if you're familiar with the way the ancient cities are set up, usually uh, they're, they're long and narrow for the most part. Uh, Jerusalem's kind of like this. And the farther you go in, the closer you get to the safest part of the city, right? Usually ancient cities are built against a bulwark or something like that. And so when you're walking in a city, you start out the outskirts of the city. Unlike our cities, the outskirts is where the poor um, typically are, where they, where they live. Uh, they just sleep on the ground. Um, and then as you get closer, you get into more of like the merchant and artisan portion of the city. And then you finally get to the people who make decisions, the kings, the nobles, uh, the, the people with money and power. And so what Jonah has done is he's like, he's like, he's going, he goes one day, he gets, you know, in the middle of like all the people that nobody cares about. Right? And then he, and then he gives the world's greatest sermon. He goes, just 40 days and you guys are going to die. And that's all he says. That's it. It's a very, uh, if you're familiar with Old Testament prophets, usually they say a lot of stuff. They're like, woe to you, Nineveh. You know, you did this. And God is mad about this. And you need to change that. And you did this. And da, 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 and it goes on and on and on and on. It's usually very poetic, very flowery language. Not today. No, this, this is just five words in Hebrew. Uh, if, if you were going to to get as close to, yeah, the English as possible, it's 40 days, Nineveh destroyed. That's it. That's all he says. One of my uh, favorite comedic performances of all time is uh, Gene Wilder in uh, Willy Wonka. You guys seen the Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory? The old one, not the stupid one with Johnny Depp. Man, every, every time that guy makes a movie, it's worse and worse. But anyway, uh, Gene, Gene Wilder, iconic performance. And one of, if you don't know the story of Willy Wonka, there's a bunch of kids, and um, they get, like, golden tickets, and so they get to go visit the world-famous Willy Wonka Chocolate Factory. And they're told if they successfully complete a tour of the factory, they will receive a lifetime supply of chocolate and, and like, all the good stuff that Willy Wonka makes. Now, when we're introduced to the children, we find out that they're awful Almost all of them are either spoiled or they, uh, they can't stop looking at screens. Um, they, or the, oh, they're, they, they're rude. They have terrible behavior. And as a result, bad things begin to happen to them. I have a little clip here of how Willy Wonka responds when he realizes that one of the children is about to get hurt, is about to hurt themselves and possibly lose the chance to have a lifetime supply of chocolate. My beautiful chocolate. Don't just stand there. Do something. Help. Police. Murder. It's tomato soup. It's hot and creamy. I can actually feel it running down my throat. Stop. Don't. Why doesn't she listen to Mr. Wonka? Because, Charlie, she's a nitwit. Look at me. I'm going to be the first person in the world to be sent by television. Hey, get away from that thing. 
Stop, don't come back. <laughs> Help. Police. Murder. Stop, don't. What? Stop, don't come back. What? You almost get the feeling that Willy Wonka is cheering on the death of these children. Like, you almost get the feeling that he doesn't really care if they all perish and die in some horrible accident. Willy Wonka is exactly like Jonah. Jonah's like, oh, it's 40 days, you're all going to die. <laughs> he walks away. He's like, just don't, you know, I did it, right? I really, really, wor- really worked into that. Did you notice he doesn't even tell them that God's going to kill them? He doesn't even say why. He doesn't give them any reasons. He doesn't tell them who's behind it. He's just like, stop, don't, please quit doing what you're doing. And it's kind of sad, too, because, um, you know, Jonah's in this, this, this pivotal, pivotal moment in, in the life of, at the time, the greatest city on earth, right? You know, Jonah could, he could be excited about participating in this radical transformation. But instead, he's kind of like, wait, police, help, murder. Jonah obeys, but without joy. He, he phones it in. The first thing in your notes is, is something like, yeah, Jonah serves from obligation. No joy. He doesn't want to be a part of this. And that might bring up some questions for us. First, are you serving at all? See, Jonah, his first, his initial plan, there's three ways you can respond to God. His initial plan was to just not do what God said at all. Just, just ignore God. Now his second plan here, he's like, okay, fine. Since you're going to kill me if I don't, I guess I'll do what you ask. But I'm going to do the bare minimum. And I'm going to hate every single second of it. And so the first question we might ask is, hey, are you serving right now? Are you doing anything that's for God? Or are you kind of like first level Jonah? God's doing stuff and you're like, no, I'm going to go the other way. But maybe you're second level, Jonah. Maybe you are doing something for God. Maybe that's something uh, in your family, something here at the church, something in the community, something where you really, you know, at one point at least, believed that this was God's call. This is who you should be. This is what you should be doing. And yet you wake up and you're doing it and you're like, I hate this. And it's killing me. Is there a possibility of recovering that joy? It might be the case, you know, it might be the case that you need to, to, to you know, switch lanes, change tracks, go to a different place to, to serve. It might be um, that you need to recheck your heart and, and see if you can find a way again to have that joy of life that comes from being a part of what God's doing. But the last thing you want to be doing is, is just like Jonah, where he's looking around, he's about to watch this incredible transformation, and he's going to have no joy in it. In fact, the whole time he's going to be like, I wish they all died, just died. And look, and let's look at the response. I mean, isn't this crazy? First off, notice the people of Nineveh believed God. So Jonah's like, you're all going to die. And they're like, oh, I, God must be... This must be God's word to us. We don't know why they believe Jonah. They don't have any reason to. They don't know who he is. 
Um, they're, they've, they're 550 miles away from, from where Jonah lives. So he's just some random guy who walks in and starts saying this stuff, presumably in their language, maybe with an accent. So he's probably like a foreigner. A foreigner comes in and says, 40 days, you're all going to die. And immediately, without, he's, remember, he's in the poor district. You know, the people, the, the poor look around, they're like, oh my gosh, this, we, we've got to change. Something has to happen. And so all the people, from the greatest to the least, they all, uh, they, they, Call for a fast. And then look at this. Look at this. Interesting. Interesting. And then uh, as, it, as it goes on, when word of it reached the king of Nineveh. Right. So what's happened is Jonah's like, you're all going to die. And then he, we're going to find out in the next chapter, he leaves. He, goes, he just goes. He, he's like, I said it. And then he walks back out of the city. But the, what he said gets generated and it starts, people start telling each other and it starts to move through the city like wildfire. Like, the, the, the word from Jonah keeps going and going and going until finally it reaches the ears of the king. And the king is like, oh my gosh. Which again, we have no idea. Why does he, maybe he, maybe he deep down knows that what Nineveh is all about is horrible. Maybe he's been worrying for a long time that, that somebody's going to come after him. Who knows? But he receives the word. He immediately transforms. And then he calls for everybody to take these radical actions. To, to, you know, sackcloth and ashes. Don't even feed your, your cows, okay? And we're all of us going to pray. We're going to pray. Let everybody call upon God forcefully. Shake the gates of what God's doing with, with the cries. And, and, and hopefully, maybe, who knows? God might see it and turn. So there was the bad news this week of the, uh, the soccer but there was also, in the last 10 days, um, sort of like a radical transformation in my life. Um, I have here a picture of what, what's called the Bubba. Okay, this is a, this is a metal water bottle. Uh, about, for the last, I don't know, two, three years of life, I, this happens when you get older children. So Levi, you have something to look forward to. Instead of sleeping through the night, what happens is you wake up two to three times to go to the bathroom. It's awesome. And while you're doing this, when you wake up, the first thing you notice is that it's super, your mouth is super dry. Like you're, you're, cause I, I mean, I don't know, I sweat in my sleep, I'm not sure what. But whatever it is, I wake up, I also have a fan blowing on me, I can't, it feels like my mouth is just awful. Like it, like, and probably have terrible breath too. So, a lot of fun. Anyway, uh, what I started to do is I started to, um, get my arrowhead water and I would pour it into these large cups so that when I woke up to go to the bathroom, I would be able to sip it and, and cool down my, my aching dry throat. But the problem is, is that normal cups, uh, they, they don't do ice well. And so I would, you know, I'm going to bed at say 10 p.m. ish, right? By, by 12.30, all the ice has melted and the water is basically room temperature, maybe a little cooler. And for me, that's like a personal hell. I, I'm, I'm, I, I reach for the, the glass, and, I, and I, it's, it's almost like drinking sand. It, it does nothing, but it actually probably makes it worse. So I was complaining about this uh, because I've got first world problems uh, to my father, and, and 10 days ago, he's like, well, why don't you just get a Bubba? I was like, Bubba? What is that? And so I go to his house, and I see this thing, and it's, he's like, it's made out of metal. I'm like, awesome. <laughs> it's a metal cup. He's like, no, no, no. There's two layers of metal. In between is, is a vacuumed area where there's no oxygen. Like, okay, why would anyone do that? That's neat. He's like, no, there's science. 
And the science makes it so that if you put ice cubes in this thing and you put water over them, the ice cubes don't melt. They stay cold for up to 24 hours. Yeah, right. He's like, go on Amazon. $7.50 prime shipping. This, came, this thing came to my door. I filled it up with ice. I put in the arrowhead water. I wake up at 2 or whatever. I drink. It's like, it's like a glacier just, just pouring down my throat. In fact, I was like, I am so glad I woke up to pee just to experience this. So I drain this thing, right? And then I fill it up again. 5 a.m. rolls around. Let's go again. Right here, you feel me. There's still ice in the cup. This was warm water went in. It cooled it down. There's still ice. Again, the glacier just... I lost my ever-loving mind. I was like, this is the greatest invention. So then what do I do? When I'm, so, when I'm excited about something, I tell everybody. That's why you have to listen to this. Because I'm excited about it, so you're going to have to be excited about it too. So the first thing I do is I, I wake up. I'm like, kids, great news. I found the world's greatest water bottle. <laughs> They're like, so what? Who cares? I'm like, Olivia, this will keep your water cold all night long. She's like, I don't care. But I won. Two days ago, when she could, thought I couldn't hear, she asks mommy, Mommy, can I have a Bubba too? <laughs> so I ordered her a Bubba without her knowing. It came, and yesterday we were in the bathroom, and she says, Daddy, I admit it. I love the Bubba. <laughs> okay, now that right there, like... That was like this radical invasion out of nowhere. I, mean, I was just complaining. I was like, well, I, I, my water's not cold when I wake up, right? And then out of nowhere, like this, this radical thing comes, and it just tears through my life. And now everybody in my life, I actually, uh, Nate, Nate's camping, but I literally talked to him for like two, two hours uh, this week about how great the Bubba is. And finally he's like, okay, fine, I'll get one uh, whenever. I'm like, no, I'm going to get you one for you. So I ordered another one on Amazon. It's right there. When he's ready to come back, I'm going to give it to him. I mean, this, this is how passionate, and it just blew up. Now the Bubba's everywhere. If you're not ordering one right now, you're wasting your, your life. Your life is ebbing away, and you have your phones, you're bored out of your mind, just order it off Amazon. That's what's going on with the Bubba. That's what happens when news like news, this brand new, this rush of excitement happens in your life and it just tears through everywhere. Now, the Bubba is silly and dumb. I get that. But what's so interesting about it is that, like, that it's exactly the same thing that happens when God's Spirit gets on the move. Okay? Like, when God's Spirit gets behind something, it just tears through everywhere. And spirit is not mentioned in this text, but you have to ex- understand that, that that's exactly what's happening. Because Jonah, he phones it in. He's like, you're going to die, and he leaves. And then it did, that, that small little spark, it just turns into a forest fire of, of redemption, of, of transformation, of repentance. It goes throughout the entire city from the, the, young, the poorest, least significant person all the way up to the king. The cows stop eating. There's this radical movement, and all that it took, all, was this one guy phoning it in, as little as he could. It's, it's almost as if Jonah was completely unnecessary. That God was going to do what God's going to do. When, the spirit, when God's spirit starts to move, there's nothing you can do. It just tears through. Suddenly everyone you know in your life has a bubba. It just happens. 
And the only choice that you have is not to say, is not, Jonah's choice is not to stop God from saving Nineveh. God's going to save Nineveh. God's going to bring grace and redemption, whether Jonah likes it or not. The only choice Jonah has at all is to say, I want to get on board, or I don't care. It's the next thing in your notes. You can't stop the Spirit, but you can join in. Now, one thing to say about the Spirit, because there's you know, one of the things that happens, especially in churches sometimes, in communities, is like something like the Bubba comes along, and everyone like flips out, loses their minds over it, and everyone gets excited. And you might think that that's the Spirit. Well, the, the, the problem is, is that the Spirit only works in certain ways. Okay? We don't know. The Spirit's always surprising. But the Spirit is also always Christly. And by that I mean when the Spirit comes in power, because the Spirit is the Spirit of Christ, the things, the, the fruits of the Spirit are always fruits of things that Jesus did, experienced, caused in his life. So you're never going to have the Spirit come in and then suddenly, uh, like, someone's going to be, you know, like, a, elevated and loved and that person's going to have a whole lot of, they're going to get glory and all. That's not how the Spirit works. The Spirit, when the Spirit comes, what ends up happening is the proud are humbled, right? Because that's what Jesus did. When the Spirit comes, the, the, the sinners repent. When the Spirit comes, uh, people give of themselves self-sacrificially. When the Spirit comes, there's healing and reconciliation. The Spirit doesn't do non-Jesus type things. And so you, just because something is exciting or wild or neat or whatever, that does, that's not necessarily the Holy Spirit. The way we evaluate the movement of the Holy Spirit is we look for the Jesus-like stuff happening. So if you see places where people are being redeemed, they're, they're asking for forgiveness, they're experiencing healing in their lives and their families, okay, that's when you say, oh, I think that might be the Spirit. You don't see it. You don't see it just because there's a lot of hoopla and emotions, And that bring up some questions for us, right? Where do you see in your family, your community, this church, where do you see Jesus-type stuff happening? Where do you see people getting real with God? Where do you see people changing their lives or having their lives changed? Where do you see those types of things happening? And if you see them, why, I mean, are you, are you jumping in? Or are you like, well, that's cool. It's neat that that's happening. Because if you're not careful, and and, and the Spirit does move and, and lead to these remarkable experiences of transformation, you might miss the boat. And that would mean missing the best that God has for life. Probably the most incredible part of this text for me um, is the bigness of God's grace. Notice this. This is very interesting. So at the beginning of the text, when it's just uh, God and Jonah... The author uses um, the personal name for God, Yahweh, Israel's God. So Israel's God's word came to Jonah, right? And, and, and Yahweh tells uh, Jonah to, to, pro- to proclaim to Nineveh um, Yahweh's word, the word of Israel's God, okay? Jonah doesn't tell the people of Nineveh who is coming for them. 
In fact, through the rest of the chapter, the word for God is Elohim. It's the general term for God. It's sort of like um, if I'm standing here and my Muslim friend is standing here, I know that my God's name is Yahweh, and my Muslim friend knows that uh, his God's name is Allah, right? Um, But we can both use the word God. We're both using the word God, but we're referring to different deities, right? I'm talking about the God of the Bible. My friend here is talking about the God of Islam. The same thing is happening to the people of Nineveh. Jonah comes in and says, you're all going to die. And what they do then is they begin crying out, but not to Yahweh. They don't even know who Yahweh is. They've never heard of Yahweh. They simply say, God, if you're out there, whichever God it is that is upset with us, whichever one, maybe, maybe if we cry out to you, not knowing who you are, hoping that you listen to us, maybe you will have mercy on us. And look at it. I mean, if you go to the next piece of the text, right? Let them call upon Elohim. God. Might be Allah. Might be Yahweh. Could be whoever. Some gods got it out for us. No one told us who. Um, we, we know that it's happening, but all we can do is just we can just kind of just blow as many prayers uh, to, to the ceiling as we can and just hope that the God who's doing this, the real God, the one God, whoever that God is, that that God is listening. Isn't it amazing that, that, that God just takes it? That God doesn't look at that and say, you didn't get me right. You didn't know me well enough. A lot of us, we, um, we tend to think, well, I tend to think, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm as arrogant as anybody, right? I, I tend to think that I've got, that I know the most about God, Yahweh. And when I look at people who don't have the same, you know, nuanced, particular understanding of all the different things that are in the Bible, I kind of like, uh, yeah, you're, you're okay, but really, I'm the one. And I, and I kind of fashion for myself, uh, Sort of a little, like a little tiny tent. I have a picture here of a tiny tent. You could go camping in that. Camping is stupid, but a lot of you do it. Um, seriously, like thousands of years, like, oh my gosh, now we have running water. Oh my gosh, now we have AC. Oh my gosh, now we have, you know, TVs. I know, let's go out to the wilderness where we can die. <laughs> I don't understand you people at all. Anyway, uh, and those of you who are survivalists, you're like, you go out, you get a little tiny tent, a little single-person tent. And just, just you, and, and everything is perfect and right the way you want it. Some of you are generous. Some of you don't want to just camp alone. You'd like to bring your spouse, so they have double tents uh, right here. This one has, like, a top opening, and it's, like, off the ground so that the foxes can run underneath you instead of, <laughs> instead of coming into the tent. <laughs> I think. I don't really know. But some of you. Some of you don't want to camp without your family. <laughs> and your 12 best friends. This one fits 16. Incredible. You can get it on Amazon for like 330 bucks. Jeff Bezos is evil. Don't use Amazon.com ever again. 
that's, I mean, that's a big tent when you think about it. And, and some of us spiritually, we, we're, we're kind of like that. We're generous. We're open. We're like, hey, you know, we, we believe that God is, is willing to bless people who don't think just like us, but think mostly like us, right? So we have a bigger tent. We, 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 we kind of open it up and say, yeah, this is where God can work. These are the people that God is, is looking out for. This is, this is the sort of person that, and they're not exactly like me, but they're not bad. They're not awful. This is the, uh, the Khan Shatir. It's the world's largest tent. It's in Kazakhstan. It's 500 feet tall and 35 acres. It's a tent. It's, 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 it's all, all, everything outside is, is, is canvas of, of some sort. They have swimming pools. They have a shopping mall. There's even a monorail inside of a tent. And that tent can fit a lot of people. A lot of people with very different views, very different understandings, uh, very different ideas about, you know, what camping should be like. <laughs> uh, and that's the kind of tent that God's building, that God's grace is building. God's not looking for um, perfection. He's not looking for uh, the, the perfect understanding. He, he wants that. What God's actually doing, the way that God's grace operates, is God is always looking for anyone he can find, anywhere that he can pull in the tent. Even if they're not at the very center of the tent, even if they're just on the outskirts, he just wants them in. It doesn't matter what sort of background they have. It doesn't matter how much they understand. He just wants to bless. Jesus says, you know, God showers blessings on the righteous and the wicked. Right? It rains on the righteous and the wicked. God is, God's grace is this just massive outpouring. And he's trying to get the biggest possible tent so that he can bless as many people as he want, as he can. It doesn't matter where they come from. It doesn't matter who they are. He wants to just shower blessing after blessing after blessing after blessing. He wants to forgive. He wants to save. He's, he's not looking for me and people like me. He's looking for everyone. Now, we're, a, we're a, what's called a free grace church. So um, our church, we believe that um, simple, immediate faith in Jesus is all it takes to save. Um, if someone comes to you and says, Jesus saves, you're like, I believe it. That's it. You're done. You're in God's tent. I think the, the hope that, that this text gives us is that we don't know what it takes for some person's heart to be heard by God. We don't know if, if you know, what it takes for God to say, you're mine now. I mean, the scripture tells us in the New Testament that it's believing in Jesus, but I have hope. I have hope that, that, that anybody, you know, you wonder about your friend from Kazakhstan who's never heard of Jesus, um, and, and you wonder, do they all just go to hell? Um, maybe, but it's possible, it's possible, I hope, that, that God is just looking for any heart that will turn to him, that will cry out and say, God, I don't know who you are, but I know that you want me to change. I know that you want to save me, and I want you to save me. God, I don't know who you are, but I want your life. And I have hope. I have hope that, that even that, that God might turn and invite and welcome in. I'm not going to bet on it. Uh, I don't want to stop evangelism. I think that we need to go and present the lordship of, of Jesus, present his king, the rule, present his grace, present uh, him to everyone. I, I, I think that, that that needs to continue. But for those of us who, who, 
who are worried, who we, we wonder, like, what about them? I think Jonah gives us some hope that God says, you know what, I don't care if you know me perfectly. I just want you to turn your heart to me. And so God saw what they were doing. They stopped. They listened. He said, we stopped planning to destroy him, and he didn't do it. Last thing in your note sheet is that God's grace is building the biggest tent. However big the tent can possibly be, that's the tent that God's grace is going to create. And I don't know how big that is, but I hope that's really, really big. And I know that it is because of how God interacts with the Ninevites. And that brings us to just a couple last questions. How big is your tent? And maybe not even in terms of, like, you know, who you think is a Christian or who's not, but who deserves your grace, you know? Who, who's worth forgiving? Who's worth uh, coming to with love? How big is that? And what would you do if you wanted to make it bigger? Let's pray. Gracious God and Father, we thank you that your grace is so big and so large that your ear is, is inclined to, to every cry for mercy. God, I pray that, that your spirit will, will move Christly in this church, that we'll see places and people where you're, you're doing things, where you're redeeming, where you're transforming, where you're um, inviting conviction and repentance. I pray that we won't have Jonah hearts, that we won't just stand on the sidelines or phone it in or do the bare minimum and, and miss out on all the joy of what happens when you go on the move. May we be people who are extending your grace beyond the tents of this church and out into the communities, our, our neighborhoods, um, our workplaces, in the midst of a, a culture that's so consumed with division and hate that we'll have the counter voice of grace. And God, we praise you and we worship you because you, Yahweh, God of Israel, have the biggest grace tent that there can possibly be. May your name be glorified in Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.